Hello, I'm your host, Larry Bennett, and you're listening to the Future of Publishing podcast series. This series is brought to you by Norcompo, a leader in typesetting and digital services for 50 years in collaboration with Publishers Weekly. Production is provided by BookBuddy Media, a leading supplier of audiobook services. This series gives listeners a wide range of perspectives by industry leaders who share their experiences and who enlighten us on their vision of the future of publishing. So, let's get started. We decided to add additional content to this podcast after Marcus resigned from Quarto. You'll notice a slight difference in quality towards the end. We apologize for that difference, and we hope you'll enjoy this podcast. Good morning. This is Larry Bennett. I'm here in the beautiful Quarto Group offices in London. And I'm here with Marcus Lever, the uh, CEO of the Quarto Group. Uh, Marcus uh, started out his career at the, uh, with an MBA from the London School of Economics in 2005, moved to the United States where he uh, ran Sterling Publishing, uh, latterly as the president. And Sterling, as you all know, is a subsidiary of Barnes & Noble. Today, Quarto Group is very focused on children's books. Um, Mar- Marcus joined Quarto in 2012, starting as COO and then rapidly becoming uh, CEO, and he's refocused this London Stock Exchange listed group on intellectual property business, sold off a lot of non-core assets and increased the focus on children's book business, both organically and by acquisition. Today, the company has over 10,000 titles that are active, almost $200,000 in revenue, 48 imprints in 49 countries, and 37 languages, very impressive, and with a stated goal of becoming the dominant publisher of illustrated books. So good morning, Marcus. Good morning, Larry. Have I left anything out or misstated anything in that illustrious introduction? Well, my, my MBA was from London Business School, not London School of Economics. Oh, but, dear. Uh, you know, I was glad to get it anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> well, we have a lot of fans here who are very anxious to hear your thoughts on the future of publishing. So let's talk a little bit about ebooks, if we could. Okay. Uh, as you know, ebook sales of children's books, especially picture books, have been very slow to develop for, I think, obvious reasons. But some industry players, like Overdrive in particular, are making a big push in this area, taking advantage of some of the EPUB 3 capabilities, such as embedded audio, uh, video. So, Marcus, where do you see that market segment going in the next five to ten years? And are there any new technologies like augmented reality or virtual reality that will possibly play a role? So I can answer that question in two ways. I can answer it uh, as a publisher, and I can also answer it as a as a father of four children. Um, as as a publisher, I think our role is to produce content that is visually stimulating, informative, and helps people learn kinesthetically. And we try at the Quarto Group to produce books in our US businesses and our UK businesses for adult and children that manage to do all of the above. Um, as far as ebooks are concerned, we certainly have done what we can in terms of making our making our books uh, ebooks because our mantra is that it's the customer who should decide what format they want to uh, read our books or, or listen to our books in. Um, 
but we don't see any magic we don't see any magic bullet um look people like overdrive and and so on uh, they they have products to sell um we're in a slightly different position we we are content producers we come up with great ideas and we turn them into as i say visually stimulating informative and kinesthetically uh pleasing uh ways for people to to educate, in, enrich, and entertain themselves and their children. And that's what we do. As a father, uh, and I have, um, as I say, four children, I find that uh, they're all completely different, my children. They all want different things from uh, from the books that they, that they read, both the ones I take home and the ones we buy them uh, f- from, from stores. What is the age range? Uh, so I have actually two sets of twins. I have a boy and a girl of 14 and two girls of seven. So, uh, yeah, so that's uh, it's a broad, uh, broad focus group, shall we say. And, um, I, you know, I don't really see... Um, I, I don't see any of these augmented reality or, or anything as, as the magic bullet. I see it as uh, continually ways to stimulate children uh, and adults alike uh, with great content. And, and that, as I say, and I'm sorry to sort of keep coming back to it, is that is what we as book publishers try and do is create great content. The format and the delivery is really up to the customer. We just need to make sure that we are embracing everything uh, in terms of format and delivery uh, that is available. Sure, and that makes uh, an awful lot of sense. And I commend you on on two sets of twins. I, I can't even imagine. Well, what you that's should like. commend my wife more than me, but <laughs> thank Pro- you. <laughs> probably so. Uh, I, I have one fourteen-year-old, and that's a handful. <laughs> but uh, talk continuing just to talk a little bit about uh, alternate formats. Uh, just one follow-up question. I was recently at PW's Global Kids Connect conference, uh, which was focused on audiobooks, and one of the surprising things they talked about was the robustness of children's audiobooks, picture books in particular. And a lot of that increase in growth for that segment was around the digital home assistants like Google Home and Amazon Echo, creating demand in a whole different way of uh, ingesting that content, if you will, having the, the device read it to the kid while the kid holds the book. So do you think audiobooks or audio as a component of books can play an increasing role in children's books. So, so again, my my uh, my my response to that is I I don't know. Um, I can't see the future, uh, but I do believe, as both a publisher and a, a and a father, that it is our responsibility to uh, stimulate all of the senses that we. Uh, publish for children and and uh, educate our children and so if audiobooks can find a place for themselves as a method of delivery uh, and there's an economic model that is fantastic there will be children as you know who learn in very different ways I mean that you know going back to my own broad focus group as I say I've got four children who learn you know one learns very visually one learns um, doing things kinesthetically one learns by drawing them drawing the solution and, and one listens to things so yes I think there's a place for for everything but but I I, I 
don't want to get terribly hung up on you know who's pushing Go- you know Google Home or Amazon Echo. We're really talking about stimulating senses here, and and that's what we as content producers, as publishers, or if you know my my friends in the film business or the TV business, that's what we're trying to do. Is we're trying to enrich and entertain and educate people in different ways. So, uh, based on what you're saying, I, I think uh, one of the questions we had. Uh, was about new technologies and you really at this point don't see any new technologies in the next three to five years that'll really radically change our business for children's books especially um, <clears throat> I would love to I mean I, I spend a little bit of time every year in Silicon Valley and I travel to the Far East and you know I've been in in China and uh, and and you know other places in the Far East this year, and I'm constantly looking at new technologies and new ways of delivery. But I think we sh- we shouldn't only focus on that. There are many many new frontiers for us to sell books in, uh, and 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 other products. I, you know, yes, we get very focused in the English language market in the U.S. and the U.K., but Quarto is a business does somewhere in the region of 20% of its revenue in foreign language. Um, China is a market where the middle class is growing and the middle class is educating its children. We should look to that. Now, that to me is a market that is potentially hugely exciting and I can touch and feel where that revenue can go. Where I get a little bit I don't want to say irritated because you're a lovely man, Larry, but um, where I can get a little bit irritated about talking about audio or, or ebooks or something is I can see that I could spend a bit of money to get into that area, but I can't see how I can make that money back or go from zero to $10 million in a short space of time. Um, whereas if you said to me, what are you going to do in China? I could see how committing to that market could get me $10 million of revenue that I don't currently have. And that type of growth in the uh, foreign markets, is, is that mainly th- through direct sales or selling foreign rights? So we have uh, two different models. We have a number of different customers around the world. So we sell our books in 49 countries um, and we have last time I counted, we have about 550 customers um, in all the different markets around the world. Um, And we have some incredibly long-lasting customers. We've been going for 42 years as a company. We have some people who've been with us pretty much since the beginning, Um, as well as customers in the US and the UK. But in foreign language, uh, we are a very long-term partner to a number of people, not just in the primary markets, but in the secondary and tertiary markets. We have friends the entire way around the world. Um, we also have partnerships, because uh, obviously we have a lot of books to sell. Uh, we have partnerships, so um, I'm looking behind you because I have a big map on the wall, as you, as you can see. Um, we have a partnership in Brazil, uh, which is called Editora Quarto. 
Alcorto Editora with um, the uh, bookstore chain Livraria Nobel. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a joint venture with Catapulta Editores, uh, which is Corto Ibero Americana, uh, which is our Spanish language uh, joint venture with them. Uh, and we believe that um, you know, really going after South America, uh, as well as the Spanish-speaking um, Central America and and uh, Spanish-speaking people in the in the North America, is is a big growth market for us over the next over the next few years. Uh, we also have a partnership in the Middle East and North Africa with Calamat, uh, who are. Um, uh, based in Sharjah in the United Arab Emirates, yes. and that one, business one of the largest. Yeah, and that business Calamat Quarto has got off to a very nice, uh, steady start. So, so you know, our, our mantra really is that where wherever you can, um, where, wherever a, an illustrated book is on display, wherever it is around the world, twenty four seven three six five, it's got a good chance of selling. Uh, if it's in a warehouse, it hasn't got such a good chance of selling. Sure. Uh, I have a, a general question for you. Um, there's been a lot of consolidation of publishers over the years trying to match maybe the consolidation of booksellers, uh, yep. unfortunately. Do you see that trend continuing uh, among publishers? Look, I, I think there's there's always going to be consolidation. I mean, you ju- if you just um, read the, the big... Uh, trade publishers' results, they're finding growth hard to come by. I mean, they're doing well on the bottom line, but they're finding top line growth hard to come by, which is unsurprising. Uh, so they need to find it somewhere. Um, and consolidation comes around every every generation. There's a wave, and then businesses fragment, and then there's a bit more consolidation. Um, so I think, look, it's it, it, in the history of media... Uh, and and publishing in you know, in particular, which we're obviously talking about now, there's always going to be consolidation, and I don't see that being any different uh, in the next few years. No, I know you, I, you, you mentioned that you're publishing, I, I think, in 37 different languages. Um, uh, I can't remember exactly how many. I think it's 49 countries and 37 languages. I think that's right, something, which something is very very that. impressive. I, I, you know, one of the things we've noticed uh, is more and more people in the world, given the dependence on the internet, are trying to learn English. Are, are, you, are you seeing also a trend to, of selling English language books like all over the world in those 49 countries, in addition to the foreign language uh, editions? Um, certainly are what we call our international sales, which is English language outside of our domestic markets. So... Um, so outside of the US and the UK so not just Canada and Australia and New Zealand which are obviously the biggest international markets but um, yeah we're, we're seeing nice increases uh, of people of people buying English language books in, in, in their home markets it's, there's a little bit of noise in that because the Scandinavians for example who speak better English than you and I do absolutely um, they they buy a good amount of English language books um, and uh, they're very happy to read both in their own language and and in foreign language um, so it, it, it's difficult sometimes also with internet sellers and resellers to see exactly where uh, people are buying books are they you know 
So, so um, anyway, look, as far as I'm concerned, I'm very happy to keep selling books in whatever language and whatever format people are keen to read them. Give, give people what they want. Give people what they want. Well, that, that, that certainly makes sense. And one of the things I've noticed uh, coming from a little bit of a printing background is that there's been, over the past three or four years, a radical improvement in, in print quality for uh, short runs of, uh, of four-color books. Uh, has that uh, made a change, to, especially with Ingram? Uh, in their major, major investments uh, all over the world in, in inkjet uh, color. Has that made a difference um, in your distribution I strategy? I meet with, has it, well, so so two, two parts of the question. Ha, has it improved? Yes, it's definitely improved. Um, has it improved to the point where I don't give my friends at Ingram a hard time? Uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, but it is certainly better for some deep backlist books than it used to be. Has it changed our strategy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're getting you know nice income out of books that would have gone out of print that we can we can do with Lightning Source, um, but it's not um, it's not a huge part of our strategy yet, um, and I don't know that it will be moving forward. But uh, I think they've done a very good job at Ingram in terms of moving moving the chains down the field. Most of uh, the printing you're doing is offset still. Yes. And, and that makes uh, a lot of sense. With all your vast experience in international markets, can you tell us uh, in general your thoughts on where publishing might be going on an international front? What are the, some of the opportunities for uh, publishers, large and small? Look, there are different vantage points here that people need to look from. So obviously, uh, from a UK point of view, uh, all our media and publishing uh, businesses over many, many uh, decades have obviously had to look outside the domestic market of the UK because it just simply wasn't big enough. So exporting uh, books in English language internationally, selling foreign language rights, has been really a second, uh, has been second nature to our kind of business. Um, you know, listen to the um, rather um, painful uh, paroxysms that are going on in our market at the moment uh, because of uh, the crazy decision, in my point of view, to leave Europe. Uh, we are a trading nation, the UK, and we're going to have to get even better at it. Uh, once we're not part of the European Union. So, so that's why international has been so important for, uh, for UK publishers and will continue to be moving forward. For US publishers, uh, obviously, the domestic market has had uh, troubles. You know, there's no borders anymore. Barnes & Noble is not what it used to be. Um, Amazon obviously is uh, increasingly important as well as other channels, but this is not what we're discussing at the moment. Um, so a lot of US publishers have not only seen uh, the benefits of spending a bit more time and money selling books internationally, they've also seen uh, the benefits that could come by uh, the UK businesses 
not having a stranglehold over over the European rights. And you know, you've even seen that with Caroline Reedy from Simon Schuster uh, warning her UK colleagues uh, that that might be the case. I think there's another thing going on as well, which is children's publishing uh, is extremely, uh, extremely vibrant in um, many, many uh, territories. And that's largely because of the fact that people stop spending on their children a long time after they stop spending on themselves. And so you know, that equally uh, is attractive from an international point of view. And of course, children's books generally don't need quite so much translation time uh, as an adult book. Um, now, that's not to say there aren't uh, distinct uh, differences in different markets um, in children's publishing, but you know there's still there's still good money to be made um, by selling children's books uh, in many many different um, in many many different markets and territories around the world, um, and we're particularly seeing, I think, in the last few years in secondary and tertiary markets, so sort of not France, Germany, Spain, Italy. Uh, but smaller markets um, where they're, they're, they're coming to various publishers who have the capability of originating uh, on a worldwide basis, really because they, aren't, they don't want to spend too much money themselves originating their own titles. So buying either the translation rights or um, co-edition seems like a good way forward. And what about uh, Marcus uh, expanding sales of actually English language uh, books in non-English speaking markets because everyone seems to want to learn English? Yeah, I, I'm, you know, that, that has been going on quite a long time. I mean, you know, the lingua, lingua franca of the world increasingly is English. Um, and certainly, again, going back to the children's um, world, education has either been an American educate American English education or an English English education, depending on colonization over the years. So, um, you know, if you look at uh, if you look, for example, at the Philippines, that's always been an American English education. Uh, if you look at some parts of Africa that, that aren't francophone, that's always been in English, uh, English, English education. So, um, yes, I think, I think there are lots of opportunities there. Um, but I think our job as publishers is to take content, uh, as I've said a number of times to you and others, our, our job as publishers is to take content and make that content available in as many languages, in as many uh, markets, in as many territories, and in as many channels as possible. And do you think the uh, English from uh, the UK is superior to the English in the United States? Just kidding, Marcus, not a serious question. Um, but one very serious question, you know, we're going... You can get your point of view over is important. How about that? <laughs> I think that's a very diplomatic uh, answer. Um, we're going through a very uh, uh, sort of diff difficult times uh, in terms of uh, the U.S. seems to be um, going through a period of isolationism. And, of course, uh, your own country is going through Brexit. 
Uh, do you feel that that'll have a dramatic effect on the ability of our publishers, respective publishers, to uh, expand their product, or are we sort of beyond that in the publishing industry? Um, look, I mean, I I think as a as an internationalist, I think it's uh, a great shame that Britain is um, cutting itself off uh, from Europe. Um, look, I understand the arguments both for and against, but um, certainly as someone in the publishing business, I think it's a great shame. Um, and as I say, I'm an, I am an internationalist. As someone who's only in their life lived and worked in either London or New York, I'm also an Atlanticist, and I, <laughs> whilst I'm not sure that I believe that there is a special relationship between the US and UK more than there is between, say, US and France or US and Germany. Um, I do think we are we do share somewhat of a common language, and I think trading between the two nations is important. But look, the, the US is going to be the largest English language trading nation for a very, very long time to come. Indeed, probably the longest, largest trading nation for a very long time to come. And I don't think that um, publishers should look at things too short-termers. The US and my US political history is a bit sketchy these days, but I, you know, I think that you've been through periods of isolationism in the past. Um, you have a chance, uh, I believe in 2020, to put that behind you. Uh, and you have a chance to put it behind you again if you don't in 2020, in 2024, God forbid. Um, I think it's more serious, though, the British uh, choice to leave Europe, because that is a once-in-a-generation vote. Uh, you have the chance to reverse your isolationist policy when you change potentially, potentially change president. Well, I think you're absolutely right, Marcus. And in the late 1930s, the United States became very isolationist, and it took Pearl Harbor to shake us out of our doldrums. And I hope that we don't need a similar event this time, but we shall see. But anyway, um, well, Marcus, I have one last uh, question for you, and this is a question that we're asking uh, all of our interviewees from these podcasts. So what advice would you have for a young professional who wishes to enter the book publishing industry today? Um, well, I, I mean, I give this advice to a lot of the people in our business a lot of the time, which is depending on what part of the business you're in. But as a company, Corto tries to make great books uh, as economically as possible that people want to read. Um, and interact with and we should try and sell lots and lots of them um, and I think if you if you go back through this uh, through this interview you know whether we're talking about foreign rights or making beautiful books for children or for adults or you know that are visually stimulating that are um, kinesthetically stimulating deeply informative whatever it is um, all the different parts of the, the business at Corto 
uh, are unified in wanting to make great books and sell lots and lots of them. So I think anyone coming into publishing has got to have some kind of, not missionary zeal for that, but um, uh, certainly, uh, you know, we're not saving we're not saving lives here um, in in book publishing. So doing something that you love and 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 spreading that kind of information that can educate, enrich, and um, entertain people in their lives is must be a good thing. Well, Marcus, I think we're not saving lives, but I do believe that we are doing something very, very important. And I see that with educating children. I see that in working in places like Nicaragua, uh, where you're getting books to kids who have never had books before, and it's this amazing experience. And I see this in politics, certainly, where books can make a huge difference and have made a huge difference. Look, I, th- I think that's absolutely right. My my uh, my my boss, Len Riggio, at um, at Barnes and Noble, when I was at when I worked for Sterling, used to say, "We're not saving lives, but it is noble work." Absolutely. And I think that's a good place to end. We do noble work. Well, Marcus, thank you so much for your time this morning, and uh, we'll be seeing you soon. Thank you very much, Larry. Thank you for listening to this Future of Publishing podcast. Do not hesitate to subscribe to the series. If you like this podcast, you can say it with stars, preferably five, and share it with your friends and colleagues. You can find us on all podcast platforms, including the pre-installed podcast app on iPhones and on Android podcast apps. You can follow us on our webpage, www.nordcompo.com podcast where you can sign up for our newsletter and check out the full schedule of upcoming podcasts. I'm Larry Bennett. Hope you will catch our next podcast.